Good morning, everybody. Boy, it went deadly silent there for a minute. Good morning. How's everybody, how's everybody doing this morning? We, let's praise Jesus one more time. Wow. It's like, I know what I'm doing. We'll be all right. Jeez. All right. Um, it's good to be with you all this morning. And uh, as, as Pastor Zeb mentioned, it's a blessing. I'm going to speak on behalf of my brother pastors that we're being given this opportunity to share with you this month out of the book of Psalms. Um, a couple of months back when, when Pastor Zeb invited us to, uh, to take turns sharing with you from the book of Psalms, I didn't even have to think uh, about which one I was going to choose. For, for me, it's Psalm 30. It's always Psalm 30. And you can open your Bibles to Psalm 30 now if you'd like. But uh, for those of you who have been uh, subjected to, to my preaching up here in the past, uh, you've probably have heard me refer to Psalm 30 more than once and not even realized it. But uh, many of you may know that, that I lead a, a ministry offering here at the church that meets on Thursday nights um, called One Step. And, uh, and one of the verses that we're going to look at today from Psalm 30 serves really as the foundation for that ministry's mission because it represents the good news that we are trying to bring to folks who are overwhelmed by the struggles that they face in life. The verse right now is actually decaled on the, uh, on the wall in, in my office, which is a big deal. That's the kind of commitment I have to this verse, okay? That's almost like getting a tattooed on you, which I, I have not done uh, yet. Um, but I'm, I'm gonna start us off this morning by um, giving you a little bit of historical background on Psalm 30. There's actually not a lot of, of real specific information out there. Um, but people who are much smarter than, than me attribute this psalm to King David uh, giving thanks to the Lord. It was basically a, a, a glorified ribbon cutting of his new palace. And there is some Old Testament chronology that, that probably bears out that theory. But the interesting, to me, the interesting thing to me is as we read this psalm is that at no point does David mention a new house or a new palace. Um, what this psalm does more than anything is allow David the opportunity to thank the Lord for all that he has done in his life. So what makes it relevant to us today is the fact that we tend to be not so great at two things as it relates to our faith in Jesus Christ. One is that we don't turn to him first when we're struggling. And two is when we see his amazing provision shine through in our lives, we don't thank him and we don't acknowledge him and we don't share his demonstration of amazing grace to the world around us. So David, in this psalm, he literally holds a clinic on how to do those things, and we're gonna be blessed by that today. Now, I will mention that I am coming out of the New King James version uh, of this psalm today because that's how I first received it, and that's just always the way that I've, I've turned to it. It's very similar to the ESV that we, that we um, read from every week, so don't panic, you'll understand. But in the New King James version, Psalm 30, is referred to as praise for dramatic deliverance. And I, and I feel this points to what's really taking place here with David, nice new house or not. It's this, that as many times as David's life has been made a total wreck thanks to poor choices that he's made, and those poor choices run the gamut from political to military to, to moral, his faith in the Lord never fails to make even the most desperate situation that he faces better. Now, better does not mean free from consequence, but what it does mean for sure is that with Jesus as Lord over your life, even your worst situation, even your worst sin, even your worst moral failing can be covered in his grace. 
And that's big for one reason, really, and one reason only. Allowing yourself to realize that assures you of eternal life with Jesus. So, you know, we live in an insane world. And the insane world we live in today works overtime at making it harder and harder for us to focus on the things above where Jesus resides. So one of the great things I think that comes from knowing this psalm and really taking it to heart is that it's a great reminder of who needs to be in control in your life. Because only Jesus loves you in a way that remains steadfast no matter what it is you're facing. So if you've received the gift of the Holy Spirit, you are guaranteed that nothing, none of the craziness in this world can snatch you from his hand. Now, David happens to be the all-time champ at not just asking God for the things that he needs in order to live in obedience to him, but David follows those prayers up with demonstrations of extreme gratitude for the Lord's faithfulness. And some of you might be familiar with in, in 2 Samuel, chapter 6 of 2 Samuel, David is returning the Ark of the Covenant uh, back to Jerusalem. And he's so full of joy, the word tells us that he, he strips down to where he's wearing just a linen ephod. For those of you who don't know what an ephod is, it's sort of like an apron. Thank God it has a back to it. <laughs> it's, it's bound at the waist by a belt. And, um, and David, he's got just the ephod on, and, and he's praising the Lord with all his might. He's just dancing down the street. He's dancing like nobody's watching, right? Now, fellas, before you decide to show your wife that you are that full of worship um, and take to imitating David, um, for the record, his wife was not amused. <laughs> so, so come up with something else. But David sets the standard for assertiveness there. But, and there's a lesson for us there, too, because how often do we take the time to thank Jesus in even the most minimal way for just waking us up every morning? You know, look, David, again, he is all about some assertive gratitude, and we need to pick up on that because it's the foundation of this psalm. It's about giving thanks to God. So we're going to dig in. We're going to look first at the first seven verses of Psalm 30. We'll stop, I'm going to break those down a little bit, and then we'll go verses 8 through 12. And I'm promising you at the outset, this is really good stuff, okay? Nobody can leave this place today bummed out. This Psalm 30, it's got you covered. So if you found Psalm 30, say amen. Wow. Well, you want to keep looking for it? Or <laughs> if you found Psalm 30, amen. amen. That's better. Okay. Verse 1, I will extol you, O Lord, for you have lifted me up and have not let my foes rejoice over me. O Lord, my God, I cried out to you, and you healed me. O Lord, you brought my soul up from the grave. You have kept me alive that I should not go down to the pit. Sing praise to the Lord, you saints of his, and give thanks at the remembrance of his holy name. For his anger is but for a moment. His favor is for life. And as we just sang a moment ago, weeping may endure for a night, but joy comes in the morning. Now in my prosperity, I said I shall never be moved. Lord, by your favor, you have made my mountain stand strong. You hid your face, and I was troubled. So right off the bat, David extols, or again, he gives extreme praise to the Lord. And again, not, apparently not over a, a chunk of, of sweet real estate, but because the Lord has lifted him up. So what does that mean? Well, if you think about it, 
Again, David's life, as it's laid out for us in Scripture, it consists of one dramatic adversity after another. Just take the time to study all the Davidic Psalms in the book of Psalms. The only time we really see David sort of kick back and relax is when he shirks his responsibilities as a military commander and a king, and he ends up getting into life-changing trouble with Bathsheba. So, so between his, his bad choices and the fact that just being king exposes you to all kinds of enemies, David passionately, passionately praises the Lord for making a way for him to endure and navigate through those trials. Now, an important thing to remember uh, about David, and I think this might be a word for us today, God doesn't show up in David's life in a nick of time every time he seems to be hanging by a thread, okay? David is extraordinarily active in his relationship with God. So as far as his faith goes, David doesn't have a complacent bone in his body. And this is why God declares him to be a man after his own heart. It's not because David is sinless and virtuous and leads this pristine lifestyle, not at all. It's because David, just like you and me, he has this great propensity for creating adverse circumstances in his life that can only be brought under control by constantly seeking God's grace. So simply put, David messes up, and sometimes he messes up in really dramatic ways. So understand that it's David's faith and David's humility and his desire to obey him that, that the Lord loves the most. And so here's what, what you and I need to learn from that, and that's this. There isn't a single person here today who can't become someone after God's own heart. You know, just a little humility coupled with a desire to obey and to confess and repent when we sin. And the things that make God as happy with us as, will make God as happy with us as any form of good works that you might invest in. And so that leads me to the verse that, that honestly changed the entire course of my life. Verse 2, O oh Lord my God, I cried out to you and you healed me. And I, just, I do want to spend some time on this verse. This is the, this is the verse that, that Meredith decaled on my office wall for me uh, that I might get tattooed on my left bicep. I don't know. When I said that in the first service, my wife was like, no, 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 no. I'm kidding. I'm kidding. Anyway, around 2005, I was, um, I was closing in on 10 years of sobriety. And for those of you who are maybe uh, tuning in late, my story is that for the better part of 18 years, uh, I was a hardcore alcoholic um, from the time I was 17 until I was 36. Uh, in 1996, God revealed that sin, um, and he brought devastation, or the sin brought, brought devastation to my life, to my marriage, to my career. And uh, I thankfully chose to, um, to get help, and I went into treatment. And this August, I will be sober, praise God, for 27 years. longer than most of you have been alive. <laughs> but, uh, you know, the first 10 years um, of being clean were, were brutal. It was what they call a white-knuckle experience. Um, neither my wife Mary Grace nor I were walking with Jesus, even though we had both grown up in the church. We had a sense of how important that was. But she remained really eaten up with anger and bitterness towards me and I was eaten up with shame and guilt and regret over all the things that I had done. But anyway, very long story short, we got back into church and we found ourselves doing this very thing, crying out to Jesus to heal our lives and to bring us peace and to heal our marriage 
and to heal the remaining scars left by my addictions. This is not a recovering addict up here anymore. That's gone. New creation. New creation. Amen, brother. We prayed for the strength to live in his will and to bring us joy, and he was faithful to do that. And then life just got so much better. And with that came all these unexpected joys, this being the, the big one. Me standing up here, this is crazy. Y'all, you see me 28 years ago, you'd be like, no, that's not going to happen. <clears throat> and then Mary Grace gets called into the ministry with me. And when that happened, she wasn't all that far removed from thinking that I was still the biggest mistake she'd ever made in her life. <laughs> but as we surrendered all of our junk to Jesus, as we praised him, and thanked him and nurtured a hunger for his word, he brought about a degree of healing that we never, ever would have thought possible. And there is nothing, listen, there is nothing special or unique about me. There is nothing about me that made any of this happen. David, when he got called, he was a shepherd. I was a grocer, okay? So there's no great illuminated background here. I was in college long enough to have a cup of coffee. Um, the closest I ever came to attending seminary is driving through Wake Forest in my car. But God, once his plan is set in motion, if we seek to follow it, remarkable things happen. He equips those who he calls. And if you trust in Jesus, he's going to call you. He's going to call you to something. And I want someone to hear that today because I don't care what you're dealing with. I don't care what you've done. And you look at, at verse 3, I don't care what pit your sin has dragged you into. In the very second that you cry out for healing, Jesus will begin to move in your life. And I can promise you that whatever his plan for you is, it is way better than whatever end you're trying to reach on your own. So it's when we cry out to him, again, humble in spirit, using David's analogy here, our soul is lifted out of the grave and we stop wandering around aimlessly and we find ourselves alive and we find ourselves living as the new creations who Jesus is going to use for his glory. I've been blessed to, to serve as a, a pastor for about 14 years, and I have seen this healing miracle take place many times over. I have seen the addictions overcome. I have seen the marriages healed. I have seen the families reconciled. You know, at times, I think we tend to give too much credit to Satan when he feeds us the lie that we're a lost cause. Listen, not a one of us in this room is capable of out-sinning the grace and mercy of Jesus Christ. Verses 4 and 5 here, I, I love these verses, you know, because David, in a sense, is making an appeal to every single one of us. We are to sing and give thanks to God for all that he's done and all that he does for us each and every day. I can't sing like Pastor Sean. I try every Sunday. I just can't. I can't hit the notes. But I can sure try to make a joyful noise here to let Jesus know that I am thankful for his provision and for his grace and mercy and for his love and his patience. And all of us saints, all of us who believe, when we come together in this place, especially on Sunday morning, we need to joyfully sing about those things. And I, you know, I, I know we're Baptists, but, you know, it's okay to wave your arms in the air like you just don't care, right? Amen. You can even clap along to the song. You can't clap to how great thou art, but we got some songs you can clap to. We won't call security. You can do it. Verse 5 gives us even more good news. The Lord's anger lasts for a minute, but his favor, his love for you is for life. And this is an element of our relationship with the Father versus David's that's been changed by the gift 
of Jesus' precious blood. Because, you know, as knuckleheaded as, as we may be at times, Jesus doesn't get mad at you, but he will for sure get your attention. I tell people all the time, when life seems to be constantly out of control, you need to see it as though Jesus is just firing warning shots across your bow. Because you need to understand that Jesus wants you to surrender all your mess to him. He is not interested in negotiating the terms of your surrender. You either want salvation or you don't, right? But understand that his love for you, no matter what, runs so deep that he will continue to humble you, not to punish you, but just so that you'll come to see up close and personal that he is, in fact, the way, the truth, the life. And even better than that, he gets you. He empathizes with you. He gets how hard life can be because he's been there. He's done that. Look, Jesus' work on the cross, it does two things for us. First, it reminds us how easy it is to be set free from sin, which is awesome. But it also reminds us how burdensome, ongoing, unconfessed, unrepentant sin can be. It's like a millstone around your neck. You know, look what Jesus had to do, what he had to endure to set us free from that. And this is why he openly invites all of us to just come to him and rest. And as often as you might need to be reminded of his love for you, that's how often he's willing to, to pour it out over you again and again and again. And look, <clears throat> we all know sin at times, you know, it starts out fun, it starts out pleasurable. At times it even seems to make good sense, but it doesn't take long for it to become exhausting. The shame and the guilt and the lies. So Jesus calls on us to lay it down and he'll take it from you. And then the good news is that he won't remember it anymore. And that's, that's when we come to know what David knows, that his love for you is bigger and stronger and wider and deeper than any degree of despair that the enemy tries to drag you into. And I, I hope somebody hears that today. You know, so we read it here in the psalm. We heard it in the song earlier, weeping may for sure endure for a night. But I challenge you, trust Jesus with that burden, and you'll witness the joy that comes in the morning, guaranteed. So David then goes on to speak to the problems that pride can bring about. And, and he talks in verse 6 about how when things are going really great, when he finds himself on a roll, he says about himself, I shall not be moved. You know, I am David. And we have to understand that whenever we adopt that sort of a, a boastful attitude, and we all do it from time to time, you need to imagine Jesus whispering in your ear, oh, yeah, just, just watch. Why? Because when life is covering us in blessings and we forget to give thanks at the remembrance of his holy name, he again will humble that attitude. David, in fact, he talks about it a couple of Psalms later in Psalm 32. When David's not living right, the hand of the Lord is heavy on him. And that quickly brings him to a place of confession and repentance. So here, you know, David recognizes that it's God's favor that brings good things to, to his life. And in the times that he fails to see that, he realizes that it kind of feels like God is, is hiding from him, which is not the case, because he soon remembers that it's God. God's the one who is immovable. It's us in our flesh. We're the ones that, that tend to move away. So David comes to remember that it's God who makes a way for him to be strong. And we need to realize, all of us need to realize that it's only by the Lord's favor that we experience the blessings that we experience. And it's really important for us to receive that 
because we'll be in need of that same favor when the winning streak stops, and the winning streak always stops. So pick it up in verse 8. David continues, I cried out to you, O Lord, and to the Lord I made supplication. What profit is there in my blood when I go down to the pit? Will the dust praise you? Will it declare your truth? Hear, O Lord, and have mercy on me. Lord, be my helper. You've turned for me my mourning into dancing. You've put off my sackcloth and clothed me with gladness. To the end that my glory may sing praise to you and not be silent. O Lord, my God, I will give thanks to you forever. So for the second time in this psalm, here's David crying out, not from a place of desperation or fear or anguish. You know, the first time David cried out with thanks for the healing that he knew the Lord would provide. But this second cry of gratitude is, I think, I think this is actually what motivated David to write this psalm. He is giving, he's saying, thank you, Lord. Thank you for hearing my prayers. David made supplication to the Lord, meaning these prayers were very specific in terms of the things that David was praying about. And he asked the Lord, you know, very specific rhetorical questions. What profit is there in my blood if I go down to the pit? In other words, if I die, what good am I to you anymore, Lord? Will the dust praise you? Will it declare your truth? So we need to be honest when you read that. How many times when you pray, do your prayers first and foremost before anything else focus on this question? Jesus, why me? Because how easy is it to blame Jesus when life gets challenging? How easy is it to fall into the trap of feeling forsaken? I used to do it all the time. I was all-time champ. You know, what good can I be to you, Lord, if you keep dumping all these trials on me? What good am I to you if you keep, al- if you keep allowing me into this addiction, into this impulse, into this destructive behavior, as if Jesus is over there, you know, cracking open your next beer and handing you the keys to your car. Paul sort of goes there with Jesus as well in 2 Corinthians chapter 12. Lord, why won't you just take this thorn out of my flesh? It doesn't make sense. Without it, I could serve you so much better. And the answer to both Paul's prayer and David's is the same. Jesus wants us to always understand that in all things, his grace is enough. His strength, when we choose to lean into it, is more than enough. Our Heavenly Father wants to be in an ongoing relationship with us. And that relationship needs to be built on the realization that in all things, all things, we need his help. Now, when we um, pastors are blessed with the opportunity to fill in For Pastor Zeb up here, there is one rule, and that is you can't close the sermon until you quote Spurgeon. (laughs) Thankfully, (laughs) digging, I'm I'm kidding, by the way. (laughs) Digging through commentaries this week, uh, you know, God is so faithful. I found a great great Spurgeon quote that, that speaks specifically to this idea of the Lord as our helper. And it should be on the screen. It says, Lord, be my helper. It's another compact, expressive ever-fitting prayer. It is suitable to hundreds of the cases of the Lord's people. It is well-becoming in the minister when he's going to preach, to the sufferer upon the bed of pain, to the toiler in the field of service, to the believer under temptation, to the man of God under adversity. When God helps, difficulties vanish. And as the, the care and counseling pastor here, if more people would embrace that truth and take it to heart, Pastor Zeb would have to find something else for me to do. Mow the lawn, something. 
So we need to understand what Spurgeon is saying here. He's not saying that, you know, with one superficial prayer, God waves a magic wand and all your problems disappear. Look, Paul faced adversity of every kind right up to the moment of his death. But what God did do was keep those adversities from overtaking Paul's calling. And it's the same goes for David. So when we employ our Savior as our Savior, when we for real let Jesus be Lord over our lives, when the difficulties come, he is faithful to light that path that gets you through it. Not without struggles, because sin is always going to carry an earthly consequence. But, but Jesus will never leave you hanging if you're crying out to him. And, and you need to cry out to him first. You know, I've been still in this line from another pastor who I like to listen to that says that you need to make Jesus your first responder and not your last resort. And what's the result of that kind of trust in Jesus? Well, you know, the last two verses here, 11 and 12, I, they're my testimony, and I pray that many of you share that testimony with me. You know, when I cried out to Jesus, thankful for his desire to love me no matter what, what he did, in fact, was turn my mourning into dancing. Not good dancing. Not good dancing. But he clothed me in gladness, and he healed my soul. And he blessed me with, with a calling that I never, ever would have realized without him. And I don't, I don't always do it well, and I don't for sure do it as often as I should, but I will thank God forever for redeeming the likes of me. And listen, you know, somebody today needs to hear this. The only thing keeping you from sharing that same sort of bond with Jesus is you. And if you don't know Jesus as your savior, then today is the day. You talk about Independence Day, today could be your Independence Day. Become that new creation. Take that first step towards making your sin-based struggles vanish. And if you know Jesus, if you've been born again, but lately you've been more of a, a prodigal in waiting than a faithful follower, today is the day to come home because he's waiting for you, arms wide open, welcoming you home to trust in him again. And, and listen, if you need help with either of those things after service, I'll be down front. Pastor Zell will be down front. I'm sure we'll have a pastor out in the circle. And, uh, and we would love to talk to you about how to draw nearer to the Lord every day. You know, there's, there is nothing that as pastors gives us greater joy than helping you to achieve that. So, you know, as we move forward through the rest of our day and this week and the holiday and all the, that fun stuff, can I just remind you all that if you're in that place, if you're in that pit, all you have to do is cry out. And Father God, we are grateful for the opportunity to come before you in fellowship and be blessed by your perfect truth. We're blessed to know, Lord God, that as dark as the world around us may get, you, you give us the light that we need to overcome that darkness. And so we shouldn't live in fear or intimidation by these forces of, of darkness that are rising up around us, as, as Pastor Zeb alluded to in his opening prayer. So long as we're sharing the good news of your gospel with gentleness and love and respect, the darkness cannot stand before you. So help us to embrace that truth, Lord God. Strengthen us, use us to make your appeal to the people who so desperately need to hear it so that this, um, this fellowship just continues to grow and that more and more people come together to celebrate you. And we love you and we lift this to you in Jesus' name. Amen. Thank you all. Thank you all very much. God bless you. You're dismissed.